Good evening and welcome to Thursday Night Tailgate, where NFL legends live. Join us tonight as we get more legendary stories from former players and coaches who were in the huddles, on the sidelines, and in the locker room. Plus insights from media members from around the country who have covered the game for decades. Check out our five-star picks of the week with former Patriots Pro Bowl running back Tony Collins. Plus, our spotlight on the positive segment. And here are some good things for a change about what players and teams are doing in their community. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Mascaro and Bob Lazari. Go get them, guys. folks and welcome to Thursday Night Tailgate where your favorite NFL legends live. Chris Mascaro and Bob Lazari here with you to get you ready for week number 14 in the NFL season. Bob, how are you, my friend? Good. I'm doing okay. How about you, Christopher? I'm well, sir. Thank you very much. And I'll tell you what, Bob, this time of year, and we say it every year, it seems like the NFL season goes by so fast. I mean, only five weeks left in the regular season. Got to savor every moment, just like we do with life in general, because this season is almost over. It's it's absolutely mind-boggling to me. Five weeks left, Bob. That's so that's so true, Chris. You know, around Labor Day, we get excited, and you know, we're we're kind of uh, in a groove, thinking, "Wow, we got a long time until February." And all of a sudden, you find yourself the weather's getting cold, and here we are, and winding down and we're starting to see, you know, who's uh who's who are good teams, who's not and you know, before you know it, Chris, Super Bowl will be here. <laughs> yeah, well. And Bob, looking back to this past week, a couple of big injuries that are you know, really going to have an impact potentially have a, an impact on teams that I think that have Super Bowl speaking of which, have Super Bowl aspirations. Jimmy G hurts his foot, looks like he's going to be out for a little while. Got to avoid surgery I read today but uh, may not play the rest of this season, may be even out until early in the playoff rounds. And then Vaughn Miller for the Bills, he's done for the year with a knee injury. How much do you think both of those injuries are going to impact those teams' chances? I think they're both big, Chris. I, I really do. I, You know, a guy like Garoppolo, I mean, I think we still put him in that kind of category as a game manager, but I, I think any starting quarterback in the NFL uh, goes down for a significant amount of time, you'd say, you know, there's just not that many backups that can just step in. Uh, you know, it's such a specialized position and everything, and you would think that would be such a huge loss. But, uh, you know, you had a guy like Purdy that stepped in last week. Uh, you know, I, it's doable. It's doable. You know, I, I don't know if you can replace a defensive player like Miller at all, you know, as good as the Buffalo can be on offense, Chris, they win a lot of their games, you know, with offense, their points allowed, one of the lower uh, numbers in the AFC. So uh, I, they're both huge, Chris, you know, I mean, and with all the parity in the league, you would think that any team in those divisions would come back a little to both teams uh, since they're first. But, you know, since they are first place teams, you know, I think, uh, you know, they're still going to be there at the end. But obviously, both of those guys would put those teams in a better position to go farther. 
from last Sunday as well, Bob. Bengals go out there and they beat the Chiefs for a third straight time, like we talked last week in our picks with Tony Collins. None of us thought that would ever be possible. You got to start to wonder now, are the Bengals in the Chiefs' head? I think that's part of it, Chris. I think, you know, once you beat Mahomes, you know, a time, you're like, okay, we can play with this guy. Two times, uh, we got their number. Three times, uh, yeah, I think we have, uh, we're in the head. But then again, if you watch that game, and I've watched the KC defense, and I think it's a major reason, Chris, why they haven't won more Super Bowls over the last six, seven years is because of that defense. If you saw the game on Sunday, like the other game, Burrow just picked that defense apart. I mean, it was just almost like too easy for him. I said That's what I said each time he was throwing the ball. I mean, this is too easy. And uh, I, I think it was more of the KC defense than really Burrow having a real upper hand over Mahomes. But, you know, unless they shore it up, uh, it's going to continue. I mean, it's just now they have that confidence, and obviously they know something that's working against that Swiss cheese defense of Kansas City. <laughs> it might be another reason why they don't go to the Super Bowl again this year, Chris. Yeah, and to your point, confidence is a big deal. And you, when you walk into a game, potentially with these two teams, next time they meet, division around maybe AFC championship game, well, the Bengals are going to walk in with a little swagger, knowing oh, that yeah. they've got what they need to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. And as we know in anything in sports, if you got confidence going in, you're in a really good spot. So. I think uh I think Cincinnati fans should be pretty happy right about Correct. Bob, we also saw Baker Mayfield. Guy got released by the Panthers, subsequently this week picked up by the Rams, who are dealing with some quarterback injuries and are sort of really playing out the string at this point. They've lost six in a row. They're sitting there at three and nine. But you gotta ask yourself, I'm asking myself, how has Baker Mayfield gone from a guy who led the Cleveland Browns to their first playoff appearance in eighteen years? Two seasons ago, Bob, now he's looking like a journeyman quarterback. That's a really good question, Chris. Um, Personally, and I think we talked on the show about it, when he came out of college, uh, obviously a very, very, uh, really, very good college career. Uh, But coming out, I mean, I never saw him as a a bona fide. I don't think he fit in the category. You know, you'd say he's not a kind of a drop-back passer classic quarterback, not a running guy that's that going to beat you with that in the NFL anyway. Uh, I never thought he would really, um, you know, materialize into a, a bona fide NFL good, good quarterback. Now, probably did a little bit better than I thought, uh, obviously, like you said, a couple years ago. But if you look at his lifetime stats now, Chris, you know, an awful lot of picks. Um, also, I have to bring up, in, in his credit, I have, to, you know, he's, those last few years, Chris, he played a lot uh, when he was hurt. I mean, banged up beyond belief. Um, you know, whether there's something permanent there, whether it had a toll mentally, I'm not sure. You know, but now, you know, when he's bouncing around a little now, uh, you know, his confidence is as good. I, I think it's a combination of everything we just mentioned. But you're right. I mean, uh, it has gone down, but I think it's evening out to where we probably thought, well, at least me, thought he would be by this time in his career is he a backup now is that is that really where he's at or do you think that there's a potential starting position can he earn that back can he be a star quarterback in this league again or is now his fate hey you're just going to bounce around and be a backup or if someone gets injured maybe you get a few games here or there 
that's another great question because there's there are teams out there, Chris, that are struggling at the quarterback position. You know, they're they're benching one guy this week and, and not the next. You know, Tennessee and Atlanta teams like that. You wonder if they those would be the type of teams that would give him one more shot. I think he would have one more shot to prove himself. Uh, and and from then on, you know, then you'd probably say he's definitely a, a, a bona fide good backup quarterback. Let's move along and get into our Unsung Hero of the Week awards. Bob, who's a lesser-known player that uh, really stuck out to you this past weekend? You know, Chris, I'm going to give this to uh, Jordan Mason, running back for the 49ers. Uh, again, Chris, a guy that you and I love. Here's a guy, uh came out of Georgia Tech last year, um, you know, had a decent career at Georgia Tech, although he missed half of his junior year. So when he came out, Chris, undrafted free agent, our favorite term on this show, right? Undrafted free agent, went into last week's game with only 10 carries the entire season, Chris. So what does he do? Well, he gets the ball. You know, he's not going to get the ball too much with McCaffrey around and some of his other offensive weapons. But he did carry the ball eight times, 51 yards. He had a 19-yard run. And uh, basically, he just kept the uh, chains moving during that impressive win over Miami, and that was with Purdy at quarterback. So, uh, again, any undrafted free agent, Chris, that contributes like that, we got to give a shout-out to Jordan Mason. this week. 100%. My unsung hero of the week, Bob, is Vikings backup defensive end Patrick Jones II. He backs up Danielle Hunter and Darius Smith. He's only gotten into about 25% of the defensive snaps this season. But when he's on the field, he's making his presence felt at two sacks in their win against the Dolphins a few weeks ago. Last week, and their win over the Jets, four tackles, one tackle for a loss, plus another sack. He provided some much-needed depth on the edge, and that's what the Vikings and really every successful defensive team needs. In his second season in Minnesota, he's a third-round pick out of Pitt. He's already exceeded his totals for all of last season. This is a kid that I'm really rooting hard for, Bob, and for all of those reasons. That's why he's my unsung hero. Love it. It's time for another edition of Bob's Take. So, Bob, tell us, what's on your mind tonight? of Bob's Take and Bob. I want to start by going outside of the game of football over to baseball, the winter meetings being held this weekend. Get your thoughts on what I think are the crazy contracts that both Aaron Judge and Xander Bogarts got over the last couple of days. Two guys who are 30 years old and got contracts. They're going to take Judge up to nearly 40 years old and Bogarts to 41 years. What do you make of the crazy money in the years that both of those guys got? It's really out of control, Chris, and, and, and pretty much since these happened, I've talked to people, the, most of the people I've spoken with who uh, are, are major baseball fans are all on the same page. Um, I mean, 10-year, 11-year contracts over the age of 30, Chris, I think this was one of those things where, you know, Bryce Harper started the long, long thing, uh, you know, it's a, it's a combination of the agent, Boris, and, and, uh, and a lot of these guys, but you know, it used to be, you know, 10, 11 year contracts, Chris, were just never done because the guy would have to prove himself till age 25, 26, and then, you know, then you earn it. Right now, and the Yankees are probably the, uh, 
the ones that started this also. They, you know, they used to pay that extra two or three years to a guy knowing that they weren't going to get much out of him, but that would get his name on the contract. Now, Chris, they are doing like four or five years extra probably than what they think they might get out of a guy. I think, for example, I think a guy like Bogarts, Chris, at 30 years old, a very fair deal would have probably been about seven years, 200 million with Boston. I, you know, that takes him to 37. The guy's already played 10 years. Uh, that would have been very fair, but, you know, 11 years, Chris, I mean, come off it. And a guy like Judge, I mean, he stayed healthy this year, but he showed, uh, that he, you know, had injury problems, swings hard. That's going to be a problem. I think both of these contracts, Chris, might be nightmares in the end. But, you know, the whole thing is win now. So within the next two, three, four years, if those teams win, you know, to them it might be worth it. I'm not sure how much a championship is worth at this point, but it's out of control, Chris. And you know who pays in the end? You and I do. Yeah, we do. And we pay heavy. And when you look ahead to next year's big free agent, that's going to be Shohei Otani. He's going to be 29 in July. Those two guys are getting 9- and 11-year contracts. What's Otani going to be asking for? 12 years, $500 million? <laughs> He may be the first $500 million man, Chris, because his agent will simply say he does twice as much as everybody else right. does, right? And, and they're not wrong. I mean, look at what the Grom got, right, from Texas. And you say, okay, he's going to pitch every – you know, I don't know how he does. You know, I, I didn't think he could get to this point. Um as far as, you know, I don't know how much longer he can do it, Chris. He's human, and, you know, things happen, and, and you know, I, he, he, either he's a physical freak or it's all going to come to a screeching end quick. But he better, I guess he better put his name on that contract pretty fast because I don't know, again, um, with money out there like that, somebody out there, Chris, will give him $500 million, uh, not just for his uh, on-the-field thing, but what he brings in the turnstile. So, yeah, I think uh, if anything, might well, nobody's worth that kind of money, but uh, he's a guy that probably deserves more than anyone. Moving on, Bob. The, the Lions are five and seven, but still alive in the playoff chase. They're two games behind the Seahawks, who sit in the last spot. They've won four of their last five games. Jared Goff is saying he's playing the best ball of his career. If they get in, are they the team that no one wants to face? I don't know if I would go that far, Chris. I, I, first of all, I have to give Campbell a lot of credit. I mean, you could just see I, the, the games I've seen Detroit play and the home games there. It seems a little bit more juice uh, to the franchise. My friends that are Lion fans are a little more excited, but I think they're more excited for maybe the next couple years to come. I mean, bottom line, their defense, Chris, has given up probably one of the highest point totals in the NFL, if not the highest. So that's a problem right there. But, you know, Goff, I mean, you have a bona fide, decent quarterback there. Uh, they need to add a weapon on defense. Say Brown, the wide receiver, is good. Um, but if you look at the rest of them, they're kind of iffy at the wide receiver position. He throws a lot to his running back. Um, but I think they're off to a good start, Chris. Uh, you know, tweaking it here and there and everywhere. Uh, I'm going to be rooting for him because, again, that, that's a franchise that has suffered for a long time. And a lot of my friends, are due for a winning team there. Yeah, 100%. I'm with you. I'm rooting for those guys, too. One more, Bob. In the first place, Tennessee Titans fired their GM this week. Let me say that again. The first place, Tennessee Titans fired their GM. People are saying it's because they missed out on it. They missed on a couple of their 
more recent first-round pick tackle Isaiah Wilson, who was the number one pick in 2019, and cornerback Caleb Farley, the number one pick last year. I haven't worked out so well. So your take on a division leader letting their GM go this late in the season? You know, it makes you scratch your head a little bit, Chris. Um, again, I, I think it does come back to the, to the uh, draft picks. I was reading up about Farley. Farley's had his third back surgery, Chris, since he started college. So, you know, that means, I mean, he had a couple back surgeries in college and they, they took a shot at him, you know, and that was, that's a, that's a, a GM taking a shot at somebody. Uh, obviously it's backfiring right now. Um, you know, they did well a couple of years ago when they got the championship, Chris, but, you know, uh, since then, uh, haven't been there. Um, I, you know, and there might be some things that we're not even reading. You know, everything we read is about, you know, a failure to do this, maybe not winning draft. There might be a clash of personalities there, but, um, you're right. I mean, you wouldn't want to fire a GM, at least at a team that he does keep them at a very, very competitive level. He has, but, uh, I think what they're, the, the ownership right now is looking for, uh, an even more competitive team just to get over that hump and, uh, like be a Super Bowl contender every year. All right, folks, there you go. That's this week's edition of Bob's Take. We got another jam-packed show in store for you tonight with our guests, O.J. McDuffie, Tony Collins, Don Beebe, and Mark Collins. We'll be right back with O.J. McDuffie on the other side of this real quick station. This is Reggie Kelly, former Cincinnati Bengals and Atlanta Falcons tight end, and you're listening to TNT, Thursday Night Tailgate. Brace yourself for the explosion. All right, now back with us is former wide receiver O.J. McDuffie. Let me remind you about his background. He's from Marion, Ohio. His number 32 was retired by Hawkins High School in Gatesmill, Ohio. He set the school record for all-purpose yards. He was named an AAA Ohio Player of the Year, and he was named the third-best player of the 20th century from Northeast Ohio. Played his college ball at Penn State, where he remains 10th all-time in receiving yards. 8th in career receiving touchdowns, 10th in career receptions, and 12th in all-purpose yards. For his college career, he had 125 receptions for just under 2,000 yards, and he scored 16 touchdowns. Also played baseball at Penn State, was drafted by the Angels in the 41st round back in 1991. He was a first-round pick, the 25th overall selection by the Miami Dolphins in 1993. Played in the NFL from 93 to 2000, all in Miami. For his NFL career, 415 receptions for nearly 5,100 yards, and he scored 29 touchdowns, and we're excited he is back with us again tonight here on Thursday Night Tailgate. Hey, OJ, Chris, and Bob, thanks for coming back on the show. Man, oh, man, oh, man. I didn't know I had all that going on, man. I appreciate that, man. (laughs) You're in the number of Hall of Fame for a reason, OJ, and there you have it. Man, thank you guys for having me on, man. It's always always a pleasure being on with you guys. Honor. TNT is one of my favorites, man, so I appreciate you guys. Ah, We appreciate you, OJ. Thank you very much. I want to start, OJ, by getting your thoughts on this year's Dolphins teams. They feel like a new team, you know, for a long time there, and we, we have Randy McMichael on the show a bunch, and he talks about the same old Dolphins. These aren't the same old Dolphins. The offense is putting up 30-plus points a game the last four weeks. They they ran into a, a tough 49ers defense last week, but uh, this team seems like it could be one that can make it all the way to Arizona in February. What are your thoughts? Man, you know, I'm, I'm, you know I'm a homer, of course, right? But at the same time, though, it isn't the same old Dolphins team. It really isn't, man. And you talk about that San Francisco game. Boy, did we leave a lot of meat on the bone last week. 
how many opportunities did we not take advantage of last week? Misthrows, maybe miscommunications, a lot of things like that that uh, really would have been pretty good uh, result out of San Francisco against the number one defense in the league. And so uh, I know for a fact, you talk about the numbers we put up in terms of scoring, that this team can go toe-to-toe with pretty much anybody. And uh, that that's a fun thing. We I haven't felt that way about in a long time. But right now, man, it's like, uh, you know, it, it's fun to see what we can do offensively. You know, of course, we're having Tyreek helps a lot. Having Waddle helps a lot. But the fact that two was able to go out there and find these guys, you know, and I, and I love the unsung hero guy, you know, the turf field, uh, who's one of my favorite players out there, you know, hopefully we can get back into that final run game with Jeff Wilson, Moster, you know, so it's definitely a different team. It's not the same old Dolphins, you know, the five game win streak was not an anomaly. That was, uh, the way these guys were playing all year long. Wild West run into a little bit of a buzzsaw with San Francisco, but I expect them to rebound really well this week against the Chargers. And OJ, Mike McDaniel doesn't look like your typical NFL head coach, but he seems like the perfect fit, particularly for helping to develop Tua. What are your thoughts on Coach McDaniel? Man, there's no cooler coach in the league, right? I mean, you talk about a guy with swag, man. That guy right there, man, is super intelligent. He's super current, but he's also, you know, he, he has a great pulse for his guy. You know, he knows how to get to everybody individually, which is a sign of any leader. Any leader. You can be running a you know, a company or you can run a football team, but knowing how to motivate and getting the best out of everybody is, is part of your, your job. If you do that well, you're going to get the best out of your company. And I think that's what Mike McDaniel does so well. Um, he's super positive all the time, takes the blame at times when he shouldn't take the blame. Um, you know what I mean? And, uh, that's a sign of a good leader, man. And I think, I mean, we've got the guy, we've got a, a great guy. And I talk about it a lot. Think about, all the great combinations and such in football that have worked out well end up winning championships. You know, you got Brady and Belichick. Uh, you look at uh, Roethlisberger with Tomlin. You know, you look at all these guys that go out there and perform well in championships. I mean, it's usually that one-two punch. I think we've got a one-two punch with Mike Daniel and Tua Tagovailoa. Five questions for OJ. OJ, it's great to speak with you again, and happy belated birthday. We know you celebrated last week, and we were happy to shout you out. So. Hope it went well, man. Sir. You guys are the best, man. Your shout out to the best, man. You know, I, I'm getting at that age where I don't want to, you know, talk about my birthday too much. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> I'm old as hell now, but it, you know, I appreciate that. Though. <laughs> OJ, we uh, we talk a lot on this show about the upbringing of our guests, and Chris had mentioned how you uh, play baseball, and we also talk a lot about. Uh, well-roundedness as far as an athlete. And I would say, and Chris would agree, I think 90 to 95% of our guests have always said that the playing of different sports when they were young helped them become a better football player. And I probably know your answer on this. Comment on that and tell us a little bit more about what you did as a youth as far as sports. Yeah, man, I tell you, it's, it's the most important thing. For one, you know, especially living down here in South Florida, um, burnout is one of the biggest problems we have with, with kids because you can play every single sport all year round. And a lot of these kids do that. And, uh, it's kind of, it's kind of tough to, you know, to, to take your mind off of one sport when that's the only, only sport you play. For me, you know, being in Ohio, uh, we had to go indoors at some point. And so because of the weather. So the football season is always basketball. After basketball, we talked about up to baseball, but I also did track. 
same time I was doing baseball. I play a doubleheader in baseball. First game I'll play, then I'll go and get some jumps in because I was long jump and high jump guy in high school as well between games, and I go back and play the second baseball game. You know, especially hopefully it was a home game for both or home home meet with a home game for baseball. And so that was just one of those things that when I was doing that, that's all I knew growing up, every single sport. My Uncle Homer taught me everything about every single sport, and that's, that's all we ever did as a family. As a matter of fact, my son, my oldest son, they, they play baseball. They don't play football, but he was playing baseball only, and, you know, he, he was awkward, clumsy, you know. And then, so for two years, I put him in basketball, and that's where he gained all coordination. You know, his hand-eye was much better. You know, his, his agility was a lot better. His weight was a lot better. Everything about it was better than just playing another sport. So I, I truly encourage, you know, kids nowadays, sure, to play another sport. For one, to get their mind off of, of one sport because you don't want to be burned out. But for two, it increases your athleticism, and you'll use muscles and, and body parts that you don't use in certain sports. So if you can figure out how to make it all work, talk about athleticism, man. I mean, I know a lot of guys that play that play football. They think they're the best basketball players as well because they, they all played it. But it helps out in that sport so much, being able to be that agile on the court or on the field or wherever you're at, man. And athleticism, you know, it, some, some guys are called great athletes, but they can't play a lot of different sports. For me, I, I take pride in being able to play a lot of different sports, and I think a lot of guys should do the same, man, just to – you know, have their mind on something else and also have their bodies on something else. And, O.J., we talked about how privileged you were to play with, uh, well, play for totally legendary coaches. I mean, going back to Paterno, but at the pro level, Shula and then the rest of your career for Jimmy Johnson, uh, particularly in the, at the pro level. Uh, when Shula left, I mean, and Jimmy Johnson took over, he still had the same offensive coordinator. But what was the, what was the difference? as far as the locker room or just the the whole kind of uh, view down there at the time? Well, you know, I mean, it's not a secret that I'm not a big Jimmy Johnson fan. So, I mean, I, I put it out there multiple times. I thought Jimmy right. came in and uh, he had a uh, an attitude where he wanted everybody in the locker room to fear him. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And for me, it's tough for me because I don't fear any man. You know, and definitely, you know, you know, at that age, I was definitely not fearing little ass Jimmy Johnson. So it was like, uh, it was tough. It was, it was really tough, man. I thought Jimmy more, put way more emphasis on the defense and didn't give a damn about the offense. And, and that's probably why at times he struggled, you know, and I know that, you know, everybody's heard about the situation with Marino, uh, with himself. It was tough for me because look, Coach Tula left and he was let go. You know, it was, we had to re, we had to prove ourselves all over again with Jimmy Johnson. And there's only a couple guys that lasted for a couple years under Jimmy Johnson. And, uh, it was, uh, you know, it was a, it was an uncomfortable situation, but I was, you know, I was cool with it because I was, you know, hell, I, I played with some tough coaches. And I know you mentioned Jimmy and Paterno and Shula, but also my high school coach, Cliff Walton was the best coach, one of the best coaches I ever had. And I also met my uncle Homer, who was my elite coach. He taught me everything I know. Um, but it was a tough transition. It really was. I think a lot of times it happens all the time in college, you see it. It happens in the league a lot. When there's a coaching change, I mean, it's, it's, they're looking to get their guys. And, and fortunate enough for me, and of course, Danny's great, would be great with any head coach. Danny and I were able to survive through Jimmy, uh, those, those last two years of my career. OJ, as uh, Bob mentioned, your time at, at Penn State and, 
Penn State's a team that, boy, this season started out looking promising. It has over the last several years. They kind of run into Michigan, who they've been able to beat prior to this season. Ohio State seems to be a hump that they're having a tough time getting over. What does Penn State need to do to perennially be a team that can beat Ohio State, beat Michigan, win the Big Ten championship, and then get themselves into the playoff? Yeah, well, I think that the 12-team match is going to help us a lot. <laughs> I think that might help us a lot if you pass those guys, man. But, um, I, I tell you, man, it really is. That is that has been the big question. A lot of time it boils down to these guys having quarterback. Quarterback, you know, drive college game. They also drive, obviously, the pro game. And we seem like we haven't gotten the right guy. Now we got this guy, Drew Aller, who was the number one overall quarterback a couple of years ago at the camp for, that plays for us now. That I think it's going to get us over the hump. We got a young run game. With a, with a couple guys in them, you know, so it, it really, that's what it really comes down to. We go against those guys, and I look at Ohio State. Ohio State looks like a protein. They do all the time. Just the size, speed, you know, and it, it's tough to deal with those guys. We've had some success every once in a while against them. Michigan, in the last couple of years, Harbaugh has those guys playing so well. Uh, they're just dominant on the ground. They're big guys, they're maulers, and they're playing great defense still. Um, but look, the, the two losses, the, that was amazing to me because, you know, I was watching the college playoff, um, show the other day. You know, the two losses we took were two teams that are in the playoff of the four, you know? So when they've got like Alabama and, and uh, Tennessee at five and six, the guys that were out, who had better losses than us? You know what I mean? <laughs> we, got, we lost the two teams of the top four that are in the, in the, so we should be at least six. Give us at least six. You know what I mean? Uh, so, you know, I mean, but man, I'm just like, I mean, damn, bro, <laughs> hook a brother up, you know? Um, so I, I think, and I think a lot of guys talk about, I think Dan Orlowski has talked about it, it's the best when he talked about we're a quarterback away from being involved in conversations. I think we've got our guy at you out. And OJ, when you were at Penn State, the Pitt Penn State game was still a huge rivalry. Do you miss them mm-hmm. not playing that game every year? Oh, you know I do. We talk so much trash to each other till this day, man. You know what I mean? I remember, you know, going up against Alex Van Pelt, who's my boy. You know what I mean? And uh, just those those days were great. You know, we were battling for the state. You know, the Temples and everybody were they were fun to play against. But Pitt, Penn State, I mean, we 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 we, we couldn't wait for that battle. And they, they they're still talking trash to each other, even though they're not playing each other. You know, I love it. I love the fact that that rivalry's still there. And I'm gonna tell you, a really good friend of mine down here. Uh, you know, they're, they're big Pitt fans and we're still cool, which is nice, right? It's cool. It's cool that Pitt, Pitt they get along with this age. Um, but we talk trash a lot, but beginning of my career, the Dolphins, hell, me and Danny didn't get along because of that Pitt State <laughs> thing. You know, I said, Danny, look, we're on the same team now, bro. Let it go, man. Let it go. We're good now. You know, uh, I do miss that, man. I wish that would be one of our non-conference games that we played in the beginning of the season against a power five team. You know, and Power Five wins, and, the, and you know, in the non-conference, they go a long way. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I do miss that rivalry. It was so much fun growing up with that. OJ, just a couple more before we let you go, and I want to go back into your playing career at Penn State. Back to October 14th of 1989, you guys go up to play Syracuse, who had beaten you guys the two previous seasons. You get a big win, 34-12. to You get a long punt return, one of the longest in Penn State history, 84 yards. You also ran 45 yards on a double reverse. You had a big 25-yard reception in that game that set up a touchdown. 
your first couple of seasons, you didn't get a lot of opportunities with Penn State, but then you come up with this big game. How much did that game set up the rest of your college career? That was the game that really put me on the map. It, it really was. And I'm going to tell you, that punt return, so funny, that punt return, my, my co you know, my uh, opposite wide receiver, Terry Smith, um, he's, uh, he, he, he's with Penn State right now. He's assistant head coach, James Franklin. He's a great dude. He came up to me and he said, Juice, $50, take this one back in that punt return. My, my response to him was, meet me in the end zone. Wow. And uh, sure enough, 84 yards later, man, I, I couldn't believe myself. <laughs> I was like, oh, I can't believe I made that bet, first of all, because I didn't have 50 bucks. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I know I didn't have that money in my wallet. I had nothing close to that in my wallet. At the same time, though, it was like, man, I was like, you know, that confidence in being able to, you know, to get in the end zone and, 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 and you know, and score for our team, that was fun. Up in the Carrier Dome back then, it was loud. But after that, it was too quiet. And I love that part of it, man. So it was, uh, I mean, that was my welcome to big-time college football moment. And the rest was history from there. I got more opportunities on the offensive side of the football. I turned a couple more punts, you know, in my career. And it was just, um, yeah, that, I, that was that was a game that I, I actually put a like a pinpoint to say that the, the jump start of my college career was led to uh, me getting a chance in the NFL. A couple seasons later in 91, you guys play the University of Miami, a tremendous effort down there in the heat. You guys, had you been able to score on the final drive, maybe you end up in the national championship game that season. Is that the game you kind of look back on and, boy, that one just got away? Absolutely. Everybody was going to find back there, right? You know, if you can beat Miami, you know, then you got a chance to, you know, get to the national championship game. Man, They were so good in the 90s. You know, and we, we geared up everything, um, you know, and off season, everything was geared towards Miami. Even the year after that, when they came to us, geared everything in terms of making the changes from the year before play against Miami. But I tell you, man, it's such a blessing for me to play against UM those two years because I can almost guarantee the success I had against UM is the reason the Dolphins drafted, you know, because they were, they were watching some of those UM yeah. guys, and they're like, well, hell, who the hell is this McDuffie guy from Penn State? We're going to get him instead of some of these other guys, you know? So it worked out for me either way. We might have lost those games, but I won the, I won the battle getting a, getting drafted by the Dolphins from that. Bob, one more for OJ before we let him go? Yeah, OJ, we mentioned uh, Tyreek Hill before. You, you probably watch him, and you probably smile, because he was almost an identical size as you were. And, uh, you know, we think of these wide receiver positions now, Going back to the Megatron days and Mike Williams and Mike Evans and these guys, they're all like six three, six four. OJ, two hundred thirty pounds and can run. But uh, you must smile when you see these guys. And I, I guess you would agree that there's still a a place for the smaller uh, stature guys, shall we say? Tyreek Hill is phenom. Mm-hmm. He really is. He's you know everybody used to throw that word unicorn around. This guy is so incredible. Um, for one, I mean, the only thing that the comparison stopped me and Hill was high <laughs> because, because the guy is so fast, so quick. He runs incredible routes. Um, I ran, I ran incredible routes, but I, I run, I, it eases me to run incredible routes because I'm slow. You know what I mean? I was slower. He, he can stop on the dime doing 100 miles an hour, you know, and, uh, he, he's just so much fun to watch. But the thing about Tyreek that I love more than anything, being out of training camp all, you know, for most of the you know, preseason 
with his work ethic. He works, man. He He's not a guy. A lot of guys that have that type of talent don't work as hard as he does because they don't have to. This guy works at it every single day. He works at going 80 yards on the slant. You know what I mean? Running slant and finishing it. Because you can't go 80 let's practice going 80. He, he does that. I mean, we, we're, we're, you know, it's, it's funny because, you know, we gave up so much for Tyreek, but who can we have drafted that could be a Tyreek? Nobody. Tyreek is that, he's that unique player, man, that is so much fun to have on our team, so much fun to watch. But I'm going to tell you this too, a lot of the other guys, the Jalen Waddle, the, the Sherfield, the Craycraft, you know, all those guys that are on that, that, that wide out room as well. They watch him work, and they work just as hard because of that, man. So he's just been a great addition to our to our ball club. OJ, before we let you go, you have a foundation, your Catch 81 Foundation out there doing great things for kids. Talk about what you're doing there and how people can get involved. Yeah, it's so good. Thank you for that, man. We just um, finished up two nights of uh, toy drives, man, and the video I'll be posting tomorrow of all the toys that everybody in South Florida really came out last couple nights and, and donated toys. We had people from Ohio send uh, us toys. Uh, we had people from around the country send us gift cards. And it, it was it's just so amazing, man, how giving people can be time of year. You know, and, and at times a tough economy. People still dug deep in their pockets, man, and, and gave for our, for our toy drive. And so we're going to be able to bless a lot of kids in South Florida with, uh, you know, two or three toys, hopefully each. For, uh, you know, we've adopted like 20 families. And some of those families have up to eight kids in them. And we're going to make sure all those, all those families have toys, you know, wrapped up and they can, um, you know, put those under the tree for the kids, um, uh, by Christmas day, you know, and so it's just so fulfilling, man. My mom, my mom and I, we've been, we've been doing this for a long time. My mom has, has since passed eight years ago, but we started the foundation because we wanted to make sure we gave back because we knew how our humble beginnings were, um, how we grew up with not a lot. But we still able to make sure Christmas was incredible. So our toy drive ended up. We got an incredible bowling event coming up February 19th, um, uh, President's Day weekend. It's always a lot of fun. I get like 30 to 40 of my former players, teammates, um, Reno, Zach, JT, all come out and they bowl for me. We got a few current guys going to be out there. Mostert, you know, Agba, those guys will all be out there. And uh, it's just you know, living in South Florida. So good, it showed me so much love that it's imperative that I give that some of that back. And so through my foundation, I'm able to do that. OJ, let our listeners know how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, whether it's following you on your website or on social media. Absolutely. So we're at catch81foundation.org. Check out our, our website. That's catch81foundation.org. And all my social media is at OJ McDuffie 81 or at, at OJ McDuffie. Try one or the other. Some of my sometimes I get confused with my old age, man. But uh <laughs> everything is there, man. It's like <laughs> I just you know, I just try to stay as active as I can, man. You know, out of sight, out of mind. So my mom always told me, so I try to make sure I stay present. For sure. Well, OJ, we can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come back and be a part of the show. Also, for the wonderful video you did for us as we're celebrating the 11th year of the show, it was fantastic, Incredible. just like you are. You guys are. In- Incredible. You guys are incredible. Great job, man. Keep up the great work. Thank you, OJ. All the best to you and your family. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. We look forward to catching up with you again soon. Talk soon. Yeah. You got it, fella. Take care. See you, OJ. That is the great OJ McDuffie. Bob, what a great guy. On, On top of being a great player, the guy was just phenomenal on the field, obviously, in college and in the NFL. 
but a wonderful human being off the field, doing great things for kids through his foundation. And just, a, you know, one of the one of the great guys that we are fortunate enough to have as part of this show. Hey, he's right at the top, Chris, and kudos to you for letting him finish his segment, uh, giving a shout out to what he does. And uh, that's how we'll end the show. So, man, we're, we're going to sandwich a lot in between. But, man, uh, guys like that are right at the top of our list. And he's been a good friend for a long time. Absolutely. And you want to talk about a guy that we could put in our spotlight in the, on the positive segment every week. Yes. Boy, perfect example of, of a guy. Looking forward to having OJ back as part of the show. We've, we'll catch up with him again soon. All right. Uh, on the other side of this break, Bob and I will be back. We're going to go through our five-star picks of the week. So hang in there with us. You're listening to Thursday Night Tailgate with Chris Mascaro and Bob Lazari, where NFL legends live on. Back to you, boys. All right, we are back here on Thursday Night Tailgate, and we're going to go through our five-star picks of the week. And, Bob, both you and Tony last week had outstanding weeks. You guys both went four and one. I was a dismal two and three. And the only game that you guys missed, and the game we talked about at the top of the show, Bengals beating the Chiefs, all of us went with the Chiefs again, thinking that there's no way the Bengals are going to beat those guys three times in a row. So we all missed out on that one. I went on out on some bad limbs. Taking the Jets over the Vikings and then Tony's Patriots over the Bills. Looked like a good pick for a minute, but things fell apart pretty quickly for New England. So uh, I'm all done with those guys now. Not that I've ever been a, a Patriots fan. I'm not going back out with those guys. Take much, I know. <laughs> That's right. So, Bob, uh, again, now you got a three-game lead on Tony and I. You're 15 and five, my friend, on the season. Kudos to you, Tony and I, 12 and eight. So. We're going to have to get on our horses if uh, if we're going to catch you. Let's um, let's get into this week's games, though. We're we're going to start with the seven and five Jets at the nine and three Bills. The Bills, Bob, a whopping ten point home favorite. Um, still reeling that Tony didn't pick the the Patriots for the first time last year uh, last week. But um, your thoughts? What? Who do you like in in this uh, AFC matchup? I got to go with Buffalo, Chris. I, I just don't think the uh, the Jets can uh, they could score with them yet. I mean, defensively, these teams are pretty close. You, you, you like some of the things you see from the Jets on defense, <clears throat> but uh, they're going to be going up against a very good defensive team that uh, you could almost see Mike White having a lot of trouble, Chris, uh, against such a talented team. Uh, you know, Buffalo in December is a little bit, bit different than Buffalo in September, Chris. So, I, and we're expecting some snow here on the weekend. So I don't know what it's going to be like up there. Um, uh, but yeah, and, uh, they're always tough at home. So I'm, I'm going Buffalo, uh, pretty easily here. How about 34 one? Okay. And, and, um, Bob, like I said last week, I, I love Mike White and the Jets. I, you know, I, I love what they're doing. Mike White threw for over 300 yards again last week. Unfortunately, a couple of costly picks, but the Jets defense is tough. And I, you know, I think they're going to keep this game close, just like they did last week against the Vikings. The Bills with that, like we talked about top of the show, no Von Miller rest of the season. So that hurts their defense a bit. And the Jets, like you mentioned, Bob, or alluded to, they beat the Bills earlier this season, 2017. But like you also said, forecast on Sunday is for rain turning to snow. And if that holds up, I think it's going to be Another low scoring game, but this time in the Bills' favor. I can't, I can't imagine the Jets 
sweep the Bills. So I'm going to say it's a low-scoring game. I'm going to take the Bills 24-20. So not that all, all that different from you. Our second game is the 10-2 Vikings at the surging 5-7 and seven Lions, like we also talked about at the top of the show. Lions here, Bob, are actually a point-and-a-half favorite at home. So these aren't, like we said, these aren't your father's Lions anymore. Can they get a huge win at home? You know, uh, this this is going to be a very interesting game, Chris. I mean, it, it's almost like they're dead even, but, you know, one team has five wins more than the other. Uh, but that momentum, you know, and I have seen Minnesota, you know, they have some shaky weeks, Chris. They're, they're winning ugly. Uh, you figure the time for them to get picked off would be on the road, maybe against a division opponent. And, and like you said, Detroit is kind of surging. Now, you know, Detroit, I would think, would probably have to win a pretty high-scoring game. Um, I'm actually going to give it to Detroit this week. I think somehow they're going to be able to prevent Minnesota from getting their 11th win. I'm going to go Detroit 30-24 Detroit this time. Okay, all right. I love that pick. Um and I'm all in on the Lions, like we talked about, rooting hard for them and their fans to keep the season rolling. Um, well, they won four of their last five. Of their seven losses this season, Bob, five of them have been by four points or less, including a three-point loss to the Bills and the Eagles. So a team that's right there, competitive against the, you know, probably, arguably, the two best teams in the NFL. And then they also had a four-point loss earlier this season to the Vikings. Like we talked about, Jared Goff, he says he's playing the best football of his career and their blowout win over the Jags last week. He's 31 of 41, 340 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. If they could just get a little help up from their defense, which is near the bottom against the pass and the run, and they're dead last in points allowed per game at 27. And now they're going to have to go up against a Vikings offense with Dalvin Cook and Justin Jefferson. That guy's hard to shut down. So I, th- that's where I think it falls apart for the Lions. I want them to win, root for them to win, but I just don't think that that defense is good enough to slow those guys down. So I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to take the Vikings. I say they, they do it again. They win 31-27 and another four-point loss for the Lions. Our third game is the 11-1 Eagles going to the 7-4-1 now, Giants. Eagles are a seven-point road favorite. Bob, Giants hot early this season, 1-3-1 and one since in their last five. Can they right the ship? I don't think so, Chris, as far as Philadelphia, not only are they scoring a lot of points, you know, their defense, uh, you know, the differential is very good, and they're, they're just, they're solid in both sides right now, and I think their confidence just grows and grows here each week, I should say, in Sirianni proving that he's, you know, obviously he can uh, prepare for these teams, whether it's home or on the road. So uh, it's not going to bother Philly, I don't think. And Giants, uh, you know, are just probably going to continue just to kind of struggle and, and try to get in the playoffs because, as you know, that division is so competitive right now. So how about Philly wins this game, I'm going to say 27-20, kind of an ugly game. Well, I'm with you because there's not much to like lately about the Giants. Their offense is only scoring 20 points a game this season. The Eagles are putting up 28. Daniel Jones only averaging one touchdown a game through the air. He isn't turning the ball over much, which is good, but he also isn't doing much to help them win either. 
He's thrown for more than 200 yards only four times this season. So Saquon can't just carry the whole load for the Giants offense. And their defense is near the bottom against the run. So I expect Hurts and Miles Sanders to have big days. I'm with you, Bob. I think the Eagles win at 34 to 20. Our fourth game is the 8 and 4 Ravens at my 5 and 7 Steelers. The Steelers somehow a two and a half point home favorite. I was surprised to see that. And maybe because Lamar Jackson looks iffy to play in the game this week. So, Bob, and that actually may be the good news for Ravens fans because Lamar Jackson, not so good against the Steelers. Lifetime two and three, four touchdowns, the six interceptions. The Steelers have won four in a row over the Ravens. So I don't know, Bob, what do you think? Can my Steelers make it five in a row? I think they can, Chris. Um... You know, with the with the way again, like you said, Lamar Jackson, and this was a, a problem that we thought you know Baltimore White might run into probably more than they have over the years is the way that guy plays. Uh, you know, will he be able to suit up every week? But he's he's doing it. You know, and uh, you know Pittsburgh. I just think they're making progress every week. The young quarterback's doing well, Chris. I think make strides here and there. Um, they won a couple in a row. They have the Ravens number, and I just think Pittsburgh knows, you know, instead of going to five, six and seven sounds a lot better than five and eight in that division. Um, so, you know, whether or not you think they get to the playoffs, I think they're at home. They make a good showing here, and uh, I think they're going to just n- nibble out a victory. Kind of an ugly game, too. How about 2017, Pittsburgh? All right, and I'm, and I'm very close to that, Bob. You know, first of all, I hate the Ratbirds. They, they can't lose enough. For me, their defense, though, very good, right? As usual, very good against the run. The Steelers are going to stubbornly, I'm sure, try to run a bunch, which is why they don't score many points. But the Ravens are 25th against the pass, so there's opportunity for Kenny Pickett to continue his strong play. Steelers are terrible against the pass. Joe Burrow, just a few weeks ago, picked them absolutely apart. Last year, Tyler Huntley, who is the the Ravens' backup quarterback, the guy who's likely going to get the start this week, Got to start against the Steelers. It was, you know, the last game of the season, throwaway game for both teams. The Steelers were out of it. The Ravens already were in. He goes 16 to 31, 141 yards, two picks in that meaningless game. The Steelers, uh, win that game 16 13. And I expect much the same. I think it's going to be a close game. I think it's going to be an ugly one, but I'm going to go with my boys too. I think they get it right back again, 16 13 against the Ravens. Our last game. This week is going to be the six and six bucks at the eight and four uh, 49ers. 49ers are three and a half point home favorite. Bob, Jimmy G being out with the foot injury again, talked about that at the top of the show, may not get the return until we get to the playoffs. But can the 49ers, led by Mr. Irrelevant Brock Purdy, hold off the Bucks, who are coming off a miracle win this past week against the Saints? Can they get it done again? Well, if you watch that Saints. Bucks game, Chris. It was ugly. I mean, you know, Brady was doing Brady stuff uh, late in the game, but up to that point, uh, that team, you know, I just can't figure it out. I mean, you know, Mike Evans, Julio Jones, uh, they're just something is not right. You know, it's the Todd Bowles effect uh, as a defensive coach. I have no idea what's going on. They've given up more points than they've scored, Chris. San Francisco scores a lot more, and their defense. San Francisco is one of those teams. You watch just to play defense. They're that good. They're very good at home, too, Chris. So it all points to me. Um, you know, Purdy still wants to guide the ship. 
all the other guys out. I'm going to say San Francisco can win this game. Uh, how about 28-24? Okay. Five for me. Um, you know, we've seen all season long Tom Brady there on the sidelines yelling at his offensive line. He's not getting the time he needs to throw the football. They're dead last in the league and running the running the ball just a shade over 73 yards per game. And last week, Brock Purdy played the majority of the game. They blow out the Dolphins, who are a much better team than the Bucks are. And Purdy steps right in, 25 of 37, 210, two touchdowns, one pick. Not bad for a guy who was third on the depth chart a couple of weeks ago. He's not going to have to do much. This is a guy we talk about it, you know, from time to time on the show, Bob. Guys just have to come in and manage the game. Don't throw it away. Don't turn it over, and I think they're going to get another win. Bosa is going to be in Brady's face the whole game. That guy, unbelievable. Three sacks against Tua. Mike Evans, uh, you alluded to a moment ago, Bob, all but disappeared this season for the Bucs. He's 19th in receiving yards, only three touchdowns. So I think it's going to be close. I mean, you know, Brady isn't, you know, a pushover, uh, you know, anymore. I mean, it's not like he's irrelevant, if you will, to use that term again. But uh, 49ers defense, too much. And Purdy does just enough to get the 49ers a win. I think they win it 24-16. to 16. All right, folks, there you have it. Those are our five-star picks of the week. We've got our next guest, Don Beebe, hanging on the line. We're going to get to Beebe's right on the other side of this real quick station break. Hear your favorite NFL legends sharing their stories and insights every week right here on Thursday Night Tailgate with Chris Mascaro and Bob Lazari. Take it away, guys. Okay, now back with us is former wide receiver Don Beebe. Let me remind you about his background. He's from Aurora, Illinois, attended Caneland High School in Maple Park, Illinois, where he was a three-sport, uh, three-sport star, lettering in track basketball and football. Started out his college career at Western Illinois University, later transferred to Shadron State in Nebraska, where he ran track and played football. Despite only being there for one season, he became the first player in school history to score a touchdown in every game. Also the first to score five touchdowns in a game, set the single season record for most touchdowns with 15, most points with 90, and most all-purpose yards with just a little under 1,700. In track, he sent, he set the NAIA Division 11 a record in the 60 yard dash. The Omaha Herald named him the 1989 State College Athlete of the Year. He was inducted into the Shadron State Athletic Hall of Fame back in 2000 and their football stadium is now named in his honor. He was invited to the NFL Combine in 89 where he ran a 4440, the fastest among the receivers that year. He was the third round pick, but the Bills first pick in the 1989 draft, and he played in the league from 89 to 1997 for the Bills, Panthers, and Packers. A part of the Packers Super Bowl 31 championship team, he is now the head coach at Aurora University, leading them this season to an 11-2 and regular season record and to the Elite Eight in the Division Three playoffs. We're very excited. He is back with us again tonight here on Thursday Night Tailgate. Hey, Don, Chris, and Bob, thanks for coming Hi, back Don. on the show. Uh, that's quite the intro, guys. Thanks. You're welcome, my friend. First of all, Don, happy birthday a little bit early. Your birthday's coming up on the 18th, so 10 days early, but happy birthday, my friend. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Don, I want to start our time with you tonight by getting your thoughts on your Aurora Spartans season. You guys go 11-2 overall, 8-0 in the Northern Athletics Collegiate Conference. You guys 
won the conference championship. Tough loss last week in the playoffs, but still a great season overall. You know, it's been uh, it's been quite a three years. Um, obviously, COVID it'd be four years, but we don't count. We don't. Nobody counts that year. Um, but we've had a, we've had quite a run. We've we've actually won thirty thirty uh, conference games in a row. We haven't lost in conference yet. And, um, and first time in AU history and matter of fact, first time in our conference history that anybody's ever won a playoff game. And we actually won two this year. So it was quite a run for the team. And the good news is, is we pretty much got everybody coming back. We were very young this year, everybody on defense and we only lose four starters on offense. So it's, we got a lot coming back. Yeah. To that point, I mean, if you, you look back over the season and how it went. I mean, a close week one loss to Hope, and then obviously last weekend in the playoffs, but only a couple of games all season long were ever in question. I mean, you guys scored 40 or more points eight times. How do you improve on that? Well, first of all, the, the first loss was my fault. We, we were up 17 points in the third quarter, and I got conservative. And I uh, probably should have just kept it going. And, and we now once we let them have momentum in the fourth quarter, it, it was hard to turn around. but. That one was on me, and I told the team that I won't make that mistake again. Um, you know, with that said, we were very fortunate. Uh, I run a West Coast with the K Gun Mix offense, um, and and the kids have uh, performed very well in it for for the last few years. And and our quarterback had a great year; he led the nation in touchdowns. And our wideout was third in the nation, and our running back was second in the nation in uh, rushing yards. So uh, we uh, we have a great combination of a great running attack with passing. Bob, questions for Don? Great to have you back, Don, and uh, congratulations on all the success this year. And uh, as far as, you know, you've been coaching a while now, but Don, and, uh, you know, I, I've seen local coaches around here, and we, also, we always talk about how some of the coaches have to kind of uh, change their tactics. You know, it's almost like the, the stern, uh, disciplined approach is going by the wayside a little bit in favor of, you know, a combination of things. For example, I, one coach said, you know, he actually puts aside 20 to 30 minutes, um, at practice or, or during the week for kids just to get it out of the system and go on their phones for great. That's how kind of the, it's changed, Don. But as far as, uh, have you seen that where you've actually had to, uh, adjust uh, your tactics a little bit just because of the new generation? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I, I actually would say no to that. Mm -hmm. um, well, this is how I kind of look at it. Uh, I think every great leader that I played for, um, and Coach, obviously, Coach Levy was one of those those men, is they had a great combination of great discipline and great love. Uh, I've always believed this, that every kid wants to be disciplined because and might, people might say, well, what do you mean they like to be disciplined? I think it's because it shows that the parent or the coach really cares about them. And, uh, and you just, the only thing, the only problem with it is you got discipline out of love, uh, instead of anger and hate and berating and yelling and screaming and cussing. Uh, I think if you actually discipline a kid and you discipline them out of love because it really shows that you care about them and then you explain what it is. They're very receptive to that, and they have a lot of respect for it. And um, and I think because I had a great father that did that and great coaches that were able to do that, I learned from those guys how to really discipline a team 
um, but love them at the same time. Don, this time of the year and uh, the off season now, maybe you want to give our listeners kind of an idea um, what your schedule is like, what the player schedule is like, um, as far as recruiting, uh, a few different things. Uh, what is a, a daily um, schedule look like right now for you, and uh, where will you go from here in this, until the spring? Sure. So in season for me, it's, it's you know it's it's grind as it is for any coach. I mean it's. You know, it's easy 12 to 15 hour days of just, you know, with practice and implementing and film watching and all that stuff. And football is a different sport because there's so many variables that go involved in it. Um, and, and then off season for me, it's, it's this time of year, right after the season, it's pretty much year end meetings. Um, you know, going through and I'm meeting every 15 to 30 minutes with every player in the whole football team. That's 113 meetings. Wow. You know, uh, with just the players. And I, and I'm trying to get them in all before the Christmas break. If I don't get them all in, you know, I start with the older guys and work my way down. Uh, I'll finish them off when they come back after break. Uh, and then it's just a matter of then, obviously with recruiting, that's an ongoing thing constantly. Um, with recruiting, that's, that's a full time job in itself. But what I like to do is I like to break down our season. You know, I'll, on huddle, you know, I'll take one play, one of our one run play, take all the clips for that whole year that we ran that one play, and then I go and study that play, uh, and see what, how I liked it against that defense, uh, that front, um, and say, okay, this would the things we got to make better out of that play against that front, or we just throw it out completely or change it a little bit. So, um, I really analyze our offense and do a self scouting on every play that we run. Don, Bob talked about recruiting, and I, I'm curious. I mean, do when you're out there recruiting, do the players know who you are? I mean, most kids were born yeah. after you retired. Do they know Don yeah. Beebe, or do you find some of them are surprised? Like you played in the league, really? Yeah, uh, most. Well, all these all these players have dads, and so their dads <laughs> remind them. Yes, ah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean. <laughs> So, yeah, when these kids come into my office or they come on campus for a recruiting trip, almost all of them know who I am, yeah. And, and obviously, that's probably through their dad. Because, uh, yeah, I'll be honest with you guys, it's amazing to me what these kids don't know about professional football. I mean, I throw names out like Jim Kelly, Brett Favre, and, they're, and, and you'd be surprised how many guys don't even know who they are. Uh, and I'm like, it's crazy. Um, so, yeah, it's just... But because of their dads and they come on campus and they say, Hey, you know, this is this guy and blah, blah, blah. Um, but I don't, I don't get into talking about myself or, you know, anything that I did. I don't even do it with my own son. Um, let alone, you know, these guys, if, if the question comes up, I certainly answer it. Uh, but they pretty much all know that I was with the Packers and the Bills. Yes. Don is college kids and, and, and players around the league more and more talk about hoping that stadiums are going to get away from even the field turf that a lot of stadiums have and get back to natural grass. Aurora's home stadium is turf. The Bills' home stadium is turf. Lambeau Field, natural grass. In your opinion, what do you like the, 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 the field turf that's out there? Is it good enough, or would you like to see everybody go back to natural grass? No, man, I, I, I got to tell you, I really like the field turf, uh, only because, you know, if I was in the South, I might like the grass better, but 
up here, you know, when you're playing in November and December, um, man, that field turf is nice. Uh, cause it gets really, you know, if you didn't have that. And in high school, my first few years of high school, we didn't have that. I mean, we would tear it up if it was muddy out or rain. And then we had to replace the sod and all that stuff. It became a real mess. Way from a coaching standpoint, this way more economical and easy to, to have in this weather with field turf. Don, I want to get your thoughts on, on the Bills this season, a team that that's running hot and a little cold from time to time, but they seem to be a team that's going to go as far as Josh Allen's arm and uh, leg can take them. What are your thoughts? Is this a team that we could be seeing in the play and not only in playoffs, but in the Super Bowl? Yeah. Um, I, I would just say emphatically, yes. Uh, losing Von Miller hurt a lot. Um, on the defense, obviously, side of the ball, it would be equivalent to losing a Bruce Smith, you know, um, back in our day. However, as long as Josh Allen is suited up and he's playing, you got a chance. No question. He's that kind of an impact player. Um, if it goes through Buffalo, because right now Kansas City just losing last week helped a lot. I think they have the same record, right, Chris? Bob? Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so that being the case, if the Bills get the home field and it goes to Buffalo, you can count they're going to Super Bowl. Don, I want to get your thoughts on on something else, and and it's really um, as a, I'm a Steelers fan, and and we saw George Pickens get a little frustrated during the game, only two targets last week, and he you know just you know kind of walking off, just throw me the ball, right? And and I agree with him. I thought I don't I don't agree on the frustration that we saw out there on the sidelines. I get that boils over from time to time. But if, if that's a kid that you're coaching, what do you say to yeah. him? Do you, do you love the fire that he wants the ball? Or are you pulling him aside and saying, you know, look, George, that's fine. Let's do that in the locker room. Yeah. Um, well, I'm kind of old school in this area. Uh, is if, if a kid acts like that on my team, he doesn't play. That's simple. Um, do I want a kid to want the ball? You bet. Absolutely. Matter of fact, I just had a conversation with, with my star player on this, uh, uh, yesterday, uh, on my year end meeting. And, um, and I, I told him, I said, I want you to want the ball. I said, but you can never show your frustration to other players or the fans or anybody, you know, that you're better than these other players on the team. Uh, I just, I think that's a disservice to the team, disservice to himself. Anytime you put yourself better than, and you, you do deserve the ball more than anybody else. These guys are all, first of all, they're all professional. Um, yeah, I just don't agree with that at all. I'm sorry. It's just, it teaches these kids that are in high school and college the wrong, the wrong way to play that game. It's, it's a team game. It's not a, it's not an individual game. One of the stats that Pro Football Focus shows is when a receiver, what percent of the time a receiver is actually open. And I don't know what they count as open, but he's towards the bottom of being open. But as as a wide receiver, going even back to when you play, when did you consider yourself open? Oh, gosh, when did I consider myself open? <laughs> yeah, I mean, were you open? I mean, if it was single before. coverage, are you open if they even have uh, the guy is step for step for you or? You know, what would you say is open? I always felt like if I was even, I was leaving. Uh, let's put it that way. <laughs> so, uh, but that was just kind of a, you know, 
I, I think if you had a step on a, it, you know, it all depends on the quarterback too. You know, the quarterback like Jim that can just put it on a dime. And a lot of the NFL quarterbacks, obviously all the great ones can hit, make those small windows and, and put them in there. Um, but I would say in the professional ranks, if you have a half a step on a guy, you're open. Uh, college, you're probably going to have to have a step because the throw is not always going to be as perfect as an NFL quarterback. Um, and it depends on the, the size of the guy. It depends on the speed of the guy. So there's a, there's a lot of variables, uh, with, with whom you're talking to. Would I consider him open or not? Um, but so I, you know, a big guy like Devontae Adams, something like that. Good night. I mean, he's always probably open because if he's a guy got a hanging on him, the odds of him coming down with the ball are pretty good. Um, so I, I guess it depends on who you're talking about. Bob, one more for Don before we let him go. Yeah, sure, Don. I, um, we just, uh, one of the big stories this year, obviously, was when the, uh, the Colts let go head coach Frank Reich. I know you played a few years with Frank. Um, always known as a very good offensive mind. Share your memories of him, Don, as a teammate. And do you think, uh, he still has some good coaching left in him? I think New England could, could, uh, stand to look at him as an offensive coordinator right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. First of all, I was, you know, I was roommates with Frank for six years. So, uh, mm. you know, we were very close. Um, and, uh, the best of friends during those years in Buffalo. And then we were one year together in Carolina. Um, he, one, Frank is one of the smartest men I've ever been around when it comes to football knowledge and X's and O's. Incredible, incredible mind. As a matter of fact, when he was a, a lead pastor of a church down in Charlotte, I kept telling him, I said, you're a coach. And eventually, you know, he became that coach. Uh, you know, you know, the thing about it is, is listen, as any coach would tell you, you're as good as your players. And when you lose your star quarterback right out of the gate, uh, what Andrew did, you know, I don't know the inside of all that, but at the timing of all that, man, that really kind of hurt bad. And then now it's just always been, uh, it's always somebody new all the time. And it's hard to get continuity with, uh, you know, what he wants out of his quarterback and he's got to reteach a new one coming in the system. Uh, and then what happened, I'll be honest with you. Um, you know, what happened there was very disturbing in my mind. You know, you, you, you bench, Ryan, and I don't necessarily think that that was all his call. And I don't know. Frank never told me anything about this. I'm just, and I'm so engrossed in my season, you know, and his is season. We don't even talk during the seasons. Um, and then, and then they fire him. And then the next thing you know, he's playing again. Uh, that just seemed kind of fishy to me. I, I don't know what's going on there, but, uh, it just seemed like Frank was an escape goat there. I just, I know it is. That situation to me, guys, is exactly why I'm coaching where I'm coaching. I just don't, I just don't like the business side of, of that whole thing, uh, with the NFL. I love the D3 level. I love these guys. I love the coach, coach at AU. And, um, and that's why I'm there. Uh, I, I like the purity of the sport instead of the business of the sport. Don, and speaking of the D3 level, D3 players don't get a lot of love in the NFL draft. Now we got two spring leagues coming up this year with the USFL coming back for a second season. The XFL returns uh, in, in February. Do those leagues give your players an opportunity potentially to continue their football careers, get some exposure, maybe a little game film, maybe they get an opportunity at a higher level to continue to play football? Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, 
obviously there's a lot of guys in, that, in those 90 teams that came from small schools, uh, me, me included. Uh, we had a left tackle this year. We had 26 teams, 26 NFL teams at our practices this year, uh, watching our left tackle. He's 6'6", 320. He's in the hula bowl. Um, you know, there's a lineman out of Whitewater that, that's playing the NFL. There's a lineman out of St. John, uh, who we played twice on the last few years. He's playing. He's a starting guard for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, so it can happen. Obviously, it's, it's rare, uh, because of the level of play. But uh, there's there's the, there's a lot more talent than you realize um, at these smaller schools. Way more than I thought. I, I really, when I took the job, I, I I was shocked at how good these players are. And um, so it's 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 really good football. I, one thing I know about the NFL is if you're that good, they'll find you. The the scouting systems in the NFL is second to absolutely nobody. They 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 spend money to find players and and in the remotest areas. And, um, and again, going back to that 90s team with Andre and Pete Metzelars and Keith McKellar. I mean, I just go down the list of guys that came from, you know, smaller schools that had great careers. And Don, you briefly mentioned your son, Chad, how's Chad doing? Yeah, he's doing good. I mean, that, that kid has just had a rough spot with, with injuries, just bad timing. Uh, you know, he obviously was with the Vikings for four years and he was with the Texans. Uh, in camp and, uh, and then when he was released by the Texans, he just was not picked up the rest of this year. He's still working out, still in hopes to pick up, you know, with another team and, uh, he's in great shape and, and ready to go if he ever gets a call. Don, before we let you go, remind our listeners, how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing there at Aurora University and follow you, whether it's online or it's on social media? Yeah, so I'm not a big social media guy, but I do have a Twitter account. I don't even know what it is. I think it's Don BB NFL or something. It Don is. BB, they, <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> See, I'm just bad at that stuff. Um, but, you know, they can always get a hold of me through Aurora University. You know, I'm certainly on the athletic there. Uh, DonBB.com. I still have DonBB.com for speaking engagements and stuff of that nature. But, uh, yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, just, just loving what I'm doing, guys. And every day I wake up, I just love my job. Don, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to come back and be a part of the show. Merry Christmas to you and your family. We look forward to catching up with you again soon. Thanks, Don. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Bob. You bet, guys. Bye-bye. Take care. See you, Don. What a great guy, Bob. I love Don D. Isn't it refreshing, Chris, that a guy like that is just he's happy at the Division Three, has no desire to go anywhere else? I mean, you know, in this day of, uh, you know, working your way toward the pros and big paydays, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and he's been always good to us. So, you know, it, it's just such a pleasure having that guy on. It's, it's refreshing. Yeah, it is. We look forward to catching up with him, hopefully again before next season. All right, we've got our next guest, Mark Collins, hanging on the line. We're going to get to Mark on the other side of this real quick station break. You're listening to Thursday Night Tailgate with Chris Mascaro and Bob Lazari, where NFL legends live on. Back to you, boys. All right, now back with us is a member of our 2018 Guest Hall of Fame class, and that's former Giants, Chiefs, Packers, and Seahawks defensive back Mark Collins. Mark's first appearance on this show was just a little over nine years ago on November 21st of 2013. And he was so great that night. We had so much fun talking to him. 
He joins us the very next week again. Mark was a part of the Giants' two Super Bowl championship teams in 1986 and 1990. Also played for Marty Schottenheimer in Kansas City. Plus played in a third Super Bowl with the Packers in 1997. Played his college ball at Cal State Fullerton, where he was a four-year starter and helped them to a pair of Pacific Coast Athletic Association championships. He was the PCAA Defensive Player of the Year in 1985, and he holds the school career record with 20 interceptions, inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2007, and as you guys have heard us say over the years regarding Mark, one of the great compliments you can ever receive is from a guy like Bill Parcells, who accurately said about Mark, only guy who could cover Jerry Rice one-on-one. And we're excited that Mark is back with us again tonight here on Thursday Night Tailgate. Hey, Mark, Chris, and Bob, thanks for coming back Welcome on the back, show. Mark. Gentlemen, how are you? We're fantastic, Good Mark. Time. How are you? You know what? I almost accurately talking about that. That's, that's, a, that's a hell of a track record, number yeah, one. Yeah, it is. Uh, <laughs> technically, it's always good to talk to you. I mean, I follow you both on social media. I know you follow me. It's just good to see, you know, what you guys are doing. It's good to catch up. Well, let's catch up now. And uh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Oh, love it. Mark, I want to start our time with you tonight by getting your thoughts on the Chiefs. Bob and I talked at the top of the show last Sunday. Losing to the Bengals for a third straight time is something we thought would never possibly happen. There's a good chance those two teams are going to meet again in the playoffs. Your thoughts, do the Bengals have the Chiefs number? Or is there something that you, you figured out that they can do to get over that home? Well, Chris, it's always something. There, 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 I, I like to think there's something to it. I mean, when I played, Certain, we had certain teams' numbers, and certain teams uh, had our number. Uh, but at the end, uh, you work yourself out of that. I think right now uh, the Bengals are in the Chiefs' head uh, a bit. But when you lose a game by three points, you know, and, and, and yeah, I'm going to say this a couple of questionable calls. You can, you can work with some stuff like that. You can overcome the, uh, the, the things that the, the Bengals have done. Uh, I've noticed a couple of things that I was our office coordinator. I would change up for one. I would run a couple of plays with Mahomes under center because whenever he's in the shotgun, the, the Bengals would show sure like a blitz. They drop eight back. And that, that's the telltale sign. You got to mix it up a little bit more on offense, on the offensive side. But other than that, uh, you know, uh, the Bengals are a very good team. Uh, they really are. But I think, uh, the bigger picture, the Chiefs will figure it out knowing Andy Reid. And knowing Patrick very well, they'll figure it out. Mark, you had an opportunity to play three seasons in Kansas City, play in Arrowhead Stadium. That place has always been known as one of the loudest stadiums in the game. What was it like for you when the when the Kansas City Chiefs fans are going crazy? What was it like being inside on the field at Arrowhead? Well, I was very fortunate to play when, when the team when the team was good, and then playing against them. Uh, when the Giants and the team were bad. I mean, it's a big difference. Uh, you know, back in the 80s and 90s when we played them here in, in the Arrowhead with the Giants, the crowd wasn't as loud. But, you know, I guess from 89, I guess now pretty much 90, 91 on, it's a hell of a place to play. It's loud. It is, it is, it is noticeable, uh, from a opponent perspective and it's noticeable 
and it raises you're up on the on the uh, on the home side when you're on the on the uh, the Chiefs. It's very noticeable. So we always rely on the crowd when I played here because we can feel them. They'll not only feel them in the stadium, but probably like other NFL communities, especially when you're winning, you, you notice them in the community. It's really, it's really noticeable. So it's a fantastic venue to play in when you're uh, on on the Chiefs side. And I would venture to say it's probably even worse when you're on the opponent side. <laughs> And Mark, over those three seasons in KC, you played for Marty Schottenheimer, a guy largely unfairly, in my opinion, tagged for not being able to win the big game, as Greg Lloyd said to us a couple of weeks ago. Coaches coach and players play. He probably is an earnest finer fumble away from going to the Super Bowl in that 87 season when they got to the AFC championship game. He's probably a, a Bills team away from going to another Super Bowl in 93 when Montana was there in Kansas City. I think he's every bit the great coach that Marv Levy was and his coaching tree. Pretty impressive. Bill Cowher, Tony Dungy, Herm Edwards, Bruce Arians among some notables. He also went to Pitt mm-hmm. and he played for the Steelers in 71. So place in my heart. But your thoughts on Marty Schottenheimer as a coach? Uh, so my, Marty was really two fumbles away from going to the Super Bowl twice. The Broncos, one in, uh, one in Cleveland and the other up in, in Denver. So, you know, Marty, no doubt, was was a, a a great regular season coach. I have my I'm gonna put it, I have my qualms about him as far as anything else. Uh, but on the football side, he he just uh, I I tend to think you know he micromanaged a lot of things. He wouldn't let his coaches really coach when it came to crunch time. And uh, a couple of times that I you know he'll call some of the Old veterans, and we pretty much won the division. You know what? What, what would Bill Parcells do in this situation? I said, Marty, hey, we got this. Just back off practice a little bit. You know, let's. let's but he wouldn't do it. He just he, we we would go out and practice four hours, four hours for a game, a playoff for a playoff game. And I, I just didn't understand that logic. As great of a coach as he was in the regular season, when it came to playoff time. He just went, he just reverted back. Maybe he got nervous. I don't know. He, and, and backing up a little further than that, well, fast forward, man. He had a hell of a team, San Diego with the Chargers. He had, he had a Damian Thomas. They had a, they had a, he had a Super Bowl team. And probably to some of those Chargers, guys I know who play on their team. What were they were 12 and, 12 and 4, 11 and 13 and whatever were up in San Diego. And, those guys said the same thing I'm telling you guys. Going up to that week of the playoff game playoffs, they're working, you know, four hours before a playoff game a day. And by you do stuff like that, you kind of you weigh your players out. Well, Bill Bill Parcells, we we had the thing wrapped up going for that stretch run for a championship. We're out there maybe two hours. We get our work in. We're in, we're in shorts and shells, you know. Just get to work it, get the mental reps and the stuff. So, but when the playoffs come, we're good to go. We're ready to go. Marty wasn't wasn't built that way, and I don't think he talked to Marcus Alley, he talked to Joe Montana, he talked to myself, guys who've been there and won championships. I don't. He didn't retain that. He did it his way, and just didn't work out. But he was a hell of a coach in the regular season. Just uh, the championships just came up short. 
Were practices different in the regular season than they were in, in the playoffs? Well, the practices were, you know, two and a half hours, you know, sometimes 245. Uh, you get out, you watch those film, you go home. But there's something about the playoffs, going to the playoffs that he just, he tried he try to cover everything without giving, without trusting in his coaches and players. And, you know, you, you don't do that. You don't, staying out, banging each other, hit, hit, hit each other, full contact for practice, ain't going to do nothing come week, you know, 15, 16, 17. We already got it. We already, we already know how to pass. We got the concept. We play these guys before. We know what's going on. It's more, it's more repetition mentally that gets you ready for a playoff drive. You need your body to be rested for that long stretch, that two or three game stretch going on, trying to win a championship. He, he just didn't see it that way. And that was, that was very frustrating for a player like me or Marcus. I don't want to speak for those guys, but it was, it was difficult for a player like me who, who been there with probably one of the best coaches in the NFL. Bill Belichick and Bill Parcells. Five questions for Mark. Yeah, it's great to speak with you as usual, Mark. And that was exactly my first question to you was about Parcell because he had that no nonsense kind of uh, characteristic, and uh, that's what we knew him by. And we would assume probably the opposite that his practices were bang, bang, bang. You know, very rough. And uh, but now, from what you said. It seems like he took more of a scholarly approach to the practice. Yeah, Bob, Bill, Bill was very smart. I mean, very cerebral. Both Bill were. And we're talking mm-hmm. about Parcells now. But I tell you, now, back in the day, our training camps were physical. We were physical. Yes. We were physical. But one thing about Parcells, he knew when to pull back. Because he, he knows, I got a good thing. We got a good thing going here. There is no need to, to beat yourself in practice uh, Tuesday to, to, to Friday and then go lay an egg on Saturday or Sunday. You know, that, that's not Bill. Bill, he got it. And that's why wherever he, this man went, he's won. He's putting his teams into contention because he, he gets what, what it, he knows what it takes to get to that next level. So, um, yeah, some coaches don't have that. I don't think, but I know the landscape has changed in the league. Uh, you look at Bill Belichick. Belichick gets it. But he got one on his damn Super Bowl. He gets it. He knows, he has a, he knows how to condition these players, what it takes to get the proper contact in. And by the time these guys are ready to, to roll for the championship, they're ready to go. And you mentioned just a minute ago, Mark, about you guys knew how to tackle it. And I love having defensive backs on because each and every Sunday, and you probably see what I see, Mark, there's so many missed tackles. Guys don't wrap anymore. It's a contact game. They hit guys. Guys uh, jump over defensive backs. Um, does this drive you kind of crazy, or is it just kind of the way the game is played right now? It's, Bob, it's the way that – and I'm glad you asked that question. It's not the guys don't know how to tackle. Uh, it's more on a rule kind of change thing because when you want to try to blow a player up, uh, these guys are thinking about fine. So, yeah, you, 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 if a guy comes up a big tight end or a big running back, with well, are too many big running backs other than Henry, but you got guys coming at you, 
you want to you want to try to get him up. You want you want to you want to try to wrap him up, but you're not going to wrap up a guy with you know two fifty you know form tackling. You're going to try to do whatever it takes to get him on the ground. But on the other side, from receivers running that shit, they go to shoulder, they'll wrap up because guys now are thinking about well, if I try to do a form tackle, if my helmet hits this guy's helmet, and not because of me doing things right, it's because that level of the helmet when a receiver ducks to see you coming, that and changes. And it's a helmet to helmet. Not only is it not called, the league can still find you. It's not a penalty. So these guys right. think about fine too. So a lot of things go into the mix. I tell my son when they play football, I always tell him to see what you get. But I also, I understand when they throw a shoulder. I tackle with my shoulder, but, but I try to form as form as best possible. But sometimes, if I see a big back, I'm gonna throw my body and try to be the, you know be the speed bump so they can fall. So it's a lot of things that go into the mix now as far as uh, tackling. You will very rarely see a great form pack. And when you do, even on the college level, somebody up there in the booth, they're going to stop the game and going to do, uh, you know, they're going to do a targeting search. And that's kind of disappointing. Mark, I want to get your thoughts on the Giants this season. They were a surprise team coming out of the gate, come back down to earth a little bit over the last few weeks. Still got two games against the Eagles on the schedule. Can this team make the playoffs? You know what? I, I, Chris, I'm going to tell you, I'm happy as hell. And I'm going to tell you why. <laughs> <laughs> right now, no one, no one saw this coming. You're right. No one saw this coming. I didn't see it coming. But right now, if the Giants make the playoffs, hallelujah. I, re- I really mean that. Because even right now, they're always in the playoff house money. Because the over-under was three three to four wins, I think. That was, I think the over was three. So, this definitely was house, house money, and they're playing pretty well. Are, are they, are they you know, world beaters? No. But, for the most part of the whole season, they've always been, you know, in position to win, to win. Last year, they were always in position to lose. You knew, hey, they're going to lose. It's over. Now, a little bit more excitement. They're doing pretty well. I, I honestly think if they win two more games, they got a, they got a legitimate shot to go. You know, they play. They got Washington coming up again. They got Philly twice. If you can still win from Philly, that momentum will be enormous. But it's a tall task. But you got to still win in, in, in Philly. And now since we tied Washington. You know, you got to be Washington now. You got to beat them. I mean, just to have a legitimate shot. Mark, looking back into your playing days, and we talked a little bit about this last time when you joined us, but I want to go back through it again because I think it largely speaks to who Mark Collins is. Back in November of 1986, you're with the Giants. You guys are playing the Broncos. George Martin intercepts a pass from John Elway. Returns at 78 yards for a touchdown, but that touchdown doesn't happen if 25 doesn't come flying down the sidelines past him, block Sammy Winder at the 20 yard line, and that block allowed Martin to score. Talk about that all out effort just so you could throw a block so your teammate could score a touchdown. Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought that up. And I, I think I had a conversation with a couple of people years ago. I've always, well, I'll, 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 so I go out with some of my, my former Chiefs teammates, and I'm a Chiefs ambassador, do a lot of stuff in the community, 
And one of the guys come up, Gary Stills, goes, man, you know what? I'm, I'm always, I knew who you were, but I never really paid attention to you because I know you play with Lawrence Taylor. He, and Gary's a linebacker. He's not. Because when I was watching YouTube stuff, because people, some Giants fans always post videos of, of Giants, which old older Giants. He goes, I'm watching this video. Dude, I've always seen you around the ball. I know Lawrence is there, but you always are on the ball. I said, oh, yeah. He goes, why are you always on the ball? I said, well, to me, I was always in the field. When you hustle, you make things happen. So hustle makes things happen. So back to this play, I'm in the end zone carry covering Steve Watson. So I just saw, uh, I saw George make the catch. So I'm taking a sprint behind. Maybe I catch it. Maybe I hustle. I can make something happen. So I ran, made a good block, and George scored. But the, the key to me was some um, braggadocious, but I'll add the conscious mindset to when I made the block on a winder, I stayed flat on the ground so I wouldn't just pop up and trip George to want someone on top of me. So if you ever watch that clip on YouTube, NBC has it, and they have an end zone view. I run, and they want something to the tackle uh, uh, the block on Winder. I stayed flat down. I stayed flat while George jumped over me, and I got up. When I saw him score, I just jumped up because I, I, the mindset was there not to just make the block, but to stay down, not pop up and trip George. But hustle does make it happen. That's what that's what I, I pride myself on when I when I played. Uh, had a couple of Every time a guy gets a kick on our team, I'm going to get a block. Did the same thing with Pepper Johnson. He played Minnesota in 89. Same thing. Same thing. I get a nice block on a quarterback. He scores a touchdown. But I just, I just pride myself on hustling and trying to help my teammates out. And, Mark, let's also talk about, as I mentioned in your intro, Phil Parcells gave you that compliment saying you were the only guy that could ever cover Jerry Rice one-on-one. How was it that you were able to do that when nobody else in the league could? Well, I, I, I think I, I, and I, that was a I was shocked when Bill Seth and put that in a book and everything. But, uh, listen, I, 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 and listen, I'm not trying to say, hell, Jerry Rice is Jerry Rice, the best receiver ever in the league. But sometimes matchup, yeah. Um, and mine was just to be physical with them, where I would watch other players play against them and just let them run scot free. And my thing was, well, I'm, I think I'm stronger than he is. At the time, playing corner, I'm, I'm 200 pounds. I can, I can, you know, move people around. And, uh, it just worked out. I, that's all I did. And one of the other things that, that I, which kind of blew my mind, when I came to Kansas City and Joe Montana was on our, was on, was on me. So we're about to go to play in the American, the American Bowl in Tokyo. So Joe walked up to me and goes, Mark, come here. That was it, man. Let me tell you, he goes, Jerry hates, he hates you. Oh, well, okay. So, he goes, oh, he goes, you were in his head. He goes, he goes, you were in his head. Every time we played, I, he just never ever had it. He got me one time, but I was a great player against my Joe. But, and if you watch it, where, where it really mattered with the Giants and the, uh, and the 49ers, Joe Montana, when I looked to his left, out of that corner, Joe is over there. He, he'll look, and that, that was, a, that was a goal. And that's what Parcells and Belichick came to say. I, my job was to make the 49ers a middle of, a middle of the field team to Joe's left. 
Chandler Joe's right. He's right-handed. So we can shrink that field. We have a good chance to win. And that's what we predominantly did. Make, make everybody, you know, everybody else beat us other than Jerry Wright. So <laughs> that's what we did. We were pretty effective at for the most part. They won some games too. Jerry got some great catches. No, he's a Hall of Famer. But we, we were, we, we were pretty good at doing what we did best. Mark, you talk about being physical. And uh, you're a shade over a year older than I am. And I know the aches and pains I have every day now. And I didn't play 13 years in the NFL. What's day-to-day life like for you now physically? How you feel? Oh, gosh, I feel great. I get up. I go work out. I work out every day. Uh, my body's good. My mind is better. And honestly, I don't have, I don't, I don't feel any injuries. And I, I, I think, my work, my, how I, I took care of myself in the off season, uh, attributes to that. I've never done, in 13 years, I've never done an off season program. Never. Even the times we didn't make the playoffs, every time when, when, the, when the season was over, I did not pick up a weight until pretty much April after the draft, maybe May, maybe May, because I wanted my body to rest. Cause you're talking, July all the way to January, and if you go to the Super Bowl in the January, going to February, you're running, you're lifting weights, your body, your joints are, you, everything's hurting. You know, you got to rest. So I didn't do anything for basically yeah, almost three months, and then before the season starts, before going to mini camp and training camp, I started working out, you know, getting in shape. I never got out of shape, but I didn't do weight. So I think that attributed to my, I think me being healthy. And if you see me now, I'm I'm still at my playing weight. I'm probably right now about two oh two. Uh still muscular, still lean, still I'm fit. And um I think that has a lot to do with I I, I just didn't believe in all year round work. That that that's stupid to me. And that's even in the league right now. A lot of players are getting hurt because they got, they got all these OTAs. They're working out all year round. There should be a window where a player shouldn't do anything other than pick up a golf club at that for two months. <laughs> Leave away too long. Bob, one more for Mark before we let him go. Sure, Mark. Uh, you know, you, those old giant teams had that reputation of being like blue collar and everything. But I mean, you spent eight years in the tri-state area. And I'm just wondering, did you have a chance to partake, shall we say, in the, you know, the so-called nightlife of that era and, uh, you know, your memories back in just being able to spend weeks in New York at a time. Oh, yeah, yeah, Bob. I'll tell you, there's, there's no place, especially back in the 90s, even to this point now, there's no place like New York. And especially when you're winning, uh, back in the day, we were winning and the, and the, the Mets were winning. The Yankees were kind of not that great, mm-hmm. but We'll, we'll go out, you know, uh, let's say we have a game on Sunday. We'll always go to the China Club on Monday. The China Club, A.D. Murphy, Mike Tyson, uh, Holyfield will stop by, uh, who else? Uh, who else would be in, in the neighborhood? Well, everybody did at the China Club. We had a great time. Some of the Knicks will come by and we'll hang out in, in, the, in the back room. Just we'll have a great time drinking. And then, uh, you know, Go to a show maybe 
later in the week. But yeah, that was, I enjoyed it. I loved it. Uh, but that city can also be a detriment to you as well. You, oh, yeah. You don't, you don't know how to, you don't know how to control yourself. I've seen it take a lot of, a lot of men and women down, you know? Sure. So, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta do things in moderation. So it's one of those things. Mark, before we let you go, remind our listeners about 2-5 Sports and what you're doing now. What we do at 2-5 Sports is give student-athletes the opportunity to get recognition, exposure for a sports scholarship. All sports, plus female. Uh, you can create a mobile profile and send that mobile profile to the school that fits your criteria. Instead of waiting for a, uh, a coach or school to tap you on the shoulder to come and ask you to come to their school. Do a little reverse recruit. So I'm doing that. We've been at it for 15 years now. Uh, work with a lot of school districts. Doing well. I'm working on a project, Chris, and I'm, I'm a, I can't tell you what it is right now, but I'm going to call on you uh, next week and I'll give you a skinny on it. But it's, it's fantastic. And I want to try to bring you in on it, but I digress. Anyway, <laughs> you can always find me, uh, <laughs> you can always find me at 25 Sports. That's my name on all my media platforms, except Facebook is Mark Collins. And I always follow back. Uh, I usually answer fan mail to a point. I got too much. I'm backed up. So other than that, I'm always engaged. Yes, you are. And you're a great you're follow. Up. And Mark, I can't thank you enough. We can't thank you enough for coming back and being a part of the show. Look forward to hearing about what you're working on. So I, I look forward to catching up with you again next week. But you're fantastic, my friend. We love you. Merry Christmas to you and your family. We hope uh, we get the opportunity to catch up with you again soon. Thanks, Mark. We were all right. All right, guys. Stay safe, okay? You Take too, care. Mark. You too. See ya. Bye. Take care. That is the great Mark Collins. 2-5 Sports. It's the number two, spelling out 5, F-I-V-E, obviously. 2-5sports.com is the website. Doing great things with kids. Very intrigued by to understand what else he's got going on. So, Hopefully we get the opportunity to, to hear more about that next week. But a great guy and a great player had a lot of success and is a, you know, as he talked about being a Chiefs ambassador, doing really great stuff there in the Kansas City area as well. Always brings a lot of energy to the show, Chris. And, you know, it's very refreshing to hear that he's in good health. I'm glad you asked that question. I was going to follow up with that. As far as a guy that played 13 years in the league, uh, that he's able to work out every day, feels incredibly well mentally and physically that's refreshing it makes up for a lot of these not so nice stories that we have to mention at times chris but uh one of our favorite guests and i say that about them all but they're all our faves right <laughs> yeah we love everybody that comes a part of the show but there is a reason why mark collins is a member of our tnt guest hall of fame you heard it there and every other time that he has been a part of the show all right, when Bob and I come back, we'll be turning on our Thursday Night Tailgate Spotlight on the positive. Here are two more great stories about guys out there doing great things in their community. We'll do it right on the other side of this real quick station. Thursday Night Tailgate, where the spotlight is always on the positive. Tune in Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time to hear your favorite NFL legends, players, and coaches sharing their stories. Now back to Chris and Bob. I wouldn't joke about anything else that happened to you tonight. Okay, we're back here on Thursday Night Tailgate, turning on our spotlight on the positive. Bob, who are you spotlighting this week? Oh, great segment, Chris. Uh, I am, you know, this week, obviously, we heard the new crop of uh, 
the Walter Payton Man of the Year nominees, Chris. So this is always special for us because now we have, you know, 30 more guys. Uh, you know, we're probably going to run out of time before the show ends this year, but we'll definitely be taking people that have been nominated for this award. So I just started right from the bottom as far as uh, the, with the Washington Commanders. Their nominee is Charles Charles Leno Jr. Christie, their offensive tackle. He's been in the league nine years. Uh, this is his third, I believe, with Washington. But I was reading on it, uh, one of the nicest things on the NFL site, Chris. They have a video of him. Um, he was told by his uh, fellow offensive linemen that they had an extra film session. Uh, last week. So all of them show up and, uh, and it wasn't an extra, extra film session, Chris. It was to announce his, uh, nomination. And so they all played it. Wow. You have all these guys and there's a video of this, all these guys sitting in one room and then they start showing a video board of his past coaches from high school and everything. And you can see how shocked and emotional he was. And they all basically want to congratulate him before he even knew that he was going to be the nominee. So uh, check that video out. But, he's, uh, you know, him and his wife, Chris, they've come out, uh, they've come out with their own foundation a couple of years ago called Beyond the Entertainer. And that's a, a reference to him as a football player. He does not want to be known as a football player. And I'll get to that in a minute. But basically, the foundation just does kind of everything for all ages, Chris. Uh, he just brings people together, uh, you know, it's very, on a weekly basis, very involved in what the commanders do in the community. Um, but basically what he says, says everything he needs to do, he just needs to give back. He says, it's, it's, life is not defined by what you accomplish, what you do for others. And, uh, some, he, he, this is a direct quote from him. He says, sometimes I try to think, Charles, are you a football player or are you just someone who plays football? To me, I just play football because one day, I won't be a football player anymore. I'll just be someone who plays football. So how do I want to be remembered other than being a football player? So everything he does is based on that, Chris. He does a Christmas, especially this time of the year, he does his own version of a Christmas countdown from December 1st to December 20th. One major gift every day to uh, different organizations, um, monetary, gift cards, stocking stores. Uh, it's pretty incredible what he does. And, uh, again, he, uh, he encourages kids, you know, he, he's very realistic with kids, you know, he's a, he says there's a very, very slim chance that you can make it to the NFL, but that doesn't mean you can't be involved with sports. You know, if you go into financial planning, that's advising, agency, that's all sports related. So he's very up on that. Um, again, go to the NFL site, click on the commanders, or just go to the NFL man of the year and see the new crop of, uh, incredible nominees, Chris, and this just it's like a kid in the candy store for you and I to watch this, but uh, Charles Leno doing some great things in Washington, Chris, uh, one of the better stories you'll see this week. Bob, that's tremendous stuff from Charles Leno. I love that. Beyond the Entertainer Foundation, and I just play football, and thinking through how I am going to be remembered, that's, that's a guy that's got it together, got his head in the right place, and is also out there doing great things. So kudos to him and kudos to you for finding that story. And again, working our way back up through the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. That's a wonderful thing, an important award, maybe more important than any other award 
because those guys are out there doing great things in their community. So looking forward to hearing more of those as we go through the rest of this season. And Bob, this week I'm putting my spotlight on a few of the Vikings players. K.J. Osborne, Andrew DePala, Eric Kendricks, William Quentin, Greg Joseph, and Ryan Wright. They got together recently for the My Very Own Bed program. They surprised 50 local kids at U.S. Bank Stadium with sleep number 360 smart beds, bedding, and pillows. Michael Allen is the founder of the My Very Own Bed program there in Minnesota, started it back in 2014. And since that time, he and the Vikings have provided over 5,000 beds and dream kits to kids in the Twin Cities area. Their goal this year was to provide 1,400 beds to local kids, surpassed it because they've reached 1,600 so far this year. And prior to surprising the kids, the players took the kids on a tour of the stadium and through the locker room. And then after the tour, they took them out onto the field and the big reveal happened with the new beds to each of them. All of the children that the My Very Own Bed helps are kids that are living in foster care who are transitioning to their permanent homes, but maybe sleeping on the floor still or on air mattresses. Providing beds for them gives them a little bit of space of their own, a little bit of privacy. Plus, the kids get an opportunity to get a good night's sleep so they can be their very best the next day and going forward when they get up for school. Folks, go online to myveryownbed.org to see how you can help get involved and deliver dreams to some very deserving kids out there today. Bob, I love this program. That's why I'm putting my spotlight on them and those Vikings players this week. Yeah, we'd have, we'll have to keep up with how that's going because that's, that's just tremendous. And again, uh, it's just amazing. It seems to take on a more important, uh, more importance at this time of the year, Chris. You know, the season of giving and, and looking out for those who are less fortunate. I think this time of the year, this segment we do is probably hitting home more than it ever does, but. Each week, it's just it's a pleasure to hear both stories. It's amazing. Yeah, it is. All right, my friend, it is time for us to put a bow on this episode of Thursday Night Tailgate. We want to send out our thanks again to O.J. McDuffie, Don Beebe, and Mark Collins for joining us. And as always, Bob, thank you so much for sharing your Thursday nights with me. Our pleasure is mine, Chris. Weren't those three incredible guests? You know, they're all old friends, but my goodness, you know, they... They're always here, always willing to help. And every time we talk to them, it's like, you know, it's, uh, it never gets old. Just no. They're just old friends, and they always will be. And we're yeah. very blessed. Yeah, that, and there you go. We are 100% very blessed to have great friends like those three guys. All right. Uh, next week, scheduled to join us are another great friend and ESPN radio host, Christine Lisi, is going to be back with us. Former Bengals and Panthers defensive back and another one of our uh, TNT guest Hall of Famers, Leonard Wheeler, is going to be here, as well former Commanders, Vikings, Broncos, and Dolphins quarterback Gus Farad. So looking forward to catching up with those guys. And, of course, Tony Collins, he's going to be here with our five-star picks of the week. Folks, you can follow Bob and I out on social media. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at ctmascaro. Bob is at Bob underscore Lazari. The show is at TNT Podcast. You can visit us on Facebook as well. Bob and I have our own Facebook pages, plus we've got one for the show. So we'd appreciate a like when you go visit us on that page. You can also check us out on our website, ThursdayNightTailgate.com. On there, we're going to give you 
links to past episodes, individual guest segments. You'll be able to keep up to date with what our guest schedule looks like. Plus, this show is available as a podcast on just about every great podcasting site that's out there. We're on Podbean. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Google Podcasts. We're on Amazon Music. We're on Spotify. If you have a favorite podcasting app, we're probably on that one, too. Just type in Thursday Night Tailgate in the search bar. You'll probably find us there as well. Bob, thank you, and take us home. Thank you, Chris. Sounds like fun next week, and I can't wait to do it. Okay, our thanks. We want to also thank our great announcer, Joe Lajanusa, for the tremendous job he always does with our intro and ads. Also want to thank Kyle Turley and the Kyle Turley Bands for our upcoming outro music. On behalf of myself and Chris, thank everyone out there tonight for listening. We appreciate you the most. Until next week, good night, Kevin. Good night, Terry. Good night, Rusty. And good night, Coach Reed. We miss you guys. Coming down the mountain, I take a breath of sin. Can't tell the day or time, but I know this day will end. On a mission, I 